Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And coming up this week, a view of what's been in the news and how it's affecting similar issues abroad. But at the top, a critique of the IOC framework has hit the wire. In a position paper written on behalf of the International Federation of Sports Medicine and the European Federation of Sports Medicine Associations, 38 sports scientists published a paper in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, which was written as a critique of the coming IOC guidelines. Among the highlights included, quote, the new IOC framework mainly focuses on particular human rights perspective and the scientific, biological, or medical aspects are not considered. Another highlight, quote, implementation of this framework will create a dilemma for individual federations that have already recognized the unique challenges raised by the inclusion of trans and women athletes with DSD. Another highlight, quote, conflicting guidelines, rules, and recommendations will only confuse the individual federations and athletes and provide legal ambiguity for lawyers to exploit when pursuing the gender-related case at the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Now, before you say, okay, the transphobe drought again, not in this case. These are fair assessments, at least in the eyes of this observer. There are still a number of questions that can only be answered in March 2022 and beyond when the IOC's new guidelines take effect. A response to this position paper came from Roger Pilkey Jr., political science professor at the University of Colorado, and he specializes in the ethical issues involving sports regulations. One of the things he said on his Twitter Tuesday is that the paper argues against delegating gender regulations to individual federations, but this is contradicted when they admit that some sports are less affected by gender and should be treated differently. Individual federations already regulate gender under broad IOC principles, so the IOC framework is just stating a fact. He also wrote, they don't help their case when arguing strongly for unnecessary medical treatment and for invasive examinations of female athletes. Given the history here, one would think they'd at least be a little more empathetic. It's as if they think that human rights stop where elite sport begins. The IOC framework is notable because it acknowledges that sport must respect human rights. Roger Pilkey isn't necessarily firing missiles at this group. And this group of authors of this position paper, one of whom is someone with whom I'm quite familiar, and they are trans and they are a competitive athlete and a researcher, and I hope to get them on this podcast soon. What you're seeing here is what I think the entire discussion needs to have. It needs to have stakeholders getting together, having the discussions, and yes, the debates that need to be had. On both sides of this particular short discussion here, there are stakeholders. The common thread you're seeing here is that both sides are looking at all these issues starting from the idea of inclusion first. That's where, to me, the whole discussion has to start. And it has to start with stakeholders. There are many people, including some people trying to be prominent voices in the discussion, saying that there's the extreme of inclusion over here and the extreme of exclusion over here. No. There are, no. Really, there's two sides. There are the people who want to exclude trans people entirely, and then there are people who want inclusion. I'm one of those. And if you're standing for that, you're on my side. We may disagree on how we get there, but we're both fighting for the same thing. We want to make sure that sports are inclusive and sports have a path for all those who wish to participate to do so. Now. Here's an example of when 
people are listened to. Some sports are getting a jump on this process right now. One of those is curling. And I got a gander on the policy changes that USA Curling put together prior to the start of the Olympic trials process for 2022. And I noticed a familiar name on the document. A certain J.C. Cooper is listed as an author in their revised policies. And that's not surprising. We all know that the Minnesotan can deadlift and squat, but she can also curl and sweep. And Cooper was a regarded youth competitor. She talked about her involvement with the USA curling process more on SI.com's Extra Extra M podcast. It took some time before I was able to come back to the sport. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with as a youth in, in competitive sports within curling and uh, seeing how we treated each other and not feeling necessarily comfortable at that point in time. And when Monica did reach out to me and was like, hey, would you be interested in helping make curling a more supportive place for uh, trans athletes like yourself? It felt like coming home and I was able to connect with a lot of my former teammates and be able to come back to the sport that I, that I love. It should be like that for everyone. Like everyone should have the opportunity to be supported and feel safe and feel like they're at home in their sport. Representation matters. And it matters whether it's on a sheet of ice or on a sheet of asphalt. And that's where Zach Heron, out proud and standing on it, was this weekend at Menards ARCA testing at Daytona International Speedway. Alex Reimer had a great story on that in Outsports. Check it out. I'm going to link to it on in the liner notes. And I'm going to be cheering on that number 10, Arca Chevrolet. And I'm going to be cheering on another out and proud fast one. My boy from Iowa, Devin Rouse, is back in the saddle at that testing session, was 30-second fastest. Also, much love to those Revolution Racing fellas. Ra- Raja Karuth, Nick Sanchez, Karuth was 17th, Sanchez was 16th. Now, being a black race fan, I'm all in for Raja. I'll tell you that right now. During the worst of the pandemic year when there wasn't a lot of racing, Raja Karuth was on iRacing getting it done. And last season in ARCA, he got it done too. 19-year-old kid from Atlanta, Georgia. And this kid's going places. If, if, if he was a stock, I'd buy in. Buy in big time. To all four of you, you're going to have a fan for that ARCA race in a couple weeks' time. Can you believe it? It's almost speed weeks. Now, from there, I want to check out some of the things I'm seeing in the media landscape. Now, last week, CNN's Christian Amanpour sat down with Michael Phelps, and the most decorated Olympic swimmer ever was mainly talking about mental health. But along the way, he had some things to say about the current issue in swimming and the University of Pennsylvania's Leah Thomas. What do you make of, um, of this particular situation? I mean, look, like I, I'll say, you know, I, I can talk from a standpoint of, of doping. Um, you know, I, I don't think I've competed in a clean field in my entire career. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think this leads back to the organizing committees again, um, because it has to be a level playing field. I think that's something that, that we all need. Um, because it's it, like, that's what sports are. Uh, and, and for me, um, I, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know um, what's going to happen. Um, I, I believe that we all should feel comfortable with who we are in our own skin. Um, but I think sports should all be played at an even playing field. I don't know what that looks like in the future. Um, but it's, 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 it's hard. It, it, it's a really, it, I, I honestly, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's what complicated. To say. Uh, it, it's very complicated, and and um, you know this is this is my sport. This has been my sport my whole entire career, um, and and I honestly, the one thing I would love is everybody to be able to compete on an even playing field. That's all I can say. All the things Phelps said aside for a second. You know the things about the level playing field. You know the usual bromides. Yours truly tweeted about this interview from a different direction. I tweeted, yet another mainstream outlet talking to cis people exclusively, yawn. And a number of people on Twitter didn't like that. (laughs) 
a number of people on Twitter went at me for it. They didn't like me tweeting that. And many of them said things like, oh, you think Phelps shouldn't speak? After all, he's just a world-class swimmer, and he's an expert, and Phelps is an expert. How dare you, et cetera. Two things. Number one, to all the people who didn't read the tweet, read the tweet. Nowhere in that tweet does it say that I have a problem with Phelps giving a take if he's asked. And yes, he was on Christiana Mompour's show. She asked. He answered. But number two, Michael Phelps, no doubt, is a world-class swimmer. Perhaps the greatest ever. <laughs> Pretty much is the greatest ever. But on this issue of inclusion, he has the right to have an opinion, but he is not an expert. Part of the proof, the first words out of his mouth, talking about doping, and doping have no, has nothing to do with the situation. But the point of the tweet is not so much about the fact that Phelps is talking, not about the fact that Phelps got an interview. It's who you're not hearing from. Why have I seen maybe one trans person on any mainstream media talking about these issues of inclusion since the IOC put forth their new guidelines? I've only seen one. But at the same time, since then, you've had this firestorm over Leah Thomas come out, and Fox News has run 32 items on this in the last six weeks. You've seen the New York Post deadnaming her, the Daily Mail demeaning her, deadnaming her, misgendering her, and putting up like these real creepy, pervy spy photos of her as well. And now they're trying to gin up a new controversy from anonymous sources. Once again, all these people complain about being silenced, but they never are silent. The only person getting piled on here is Leah Thomas. Let's be real about that. She's the one taking the hits. And yes, it's good that the Ivy League and Penn Athletics and the university and, and a group of students at the Penn Law School and a bunch of affiliate organizations stood out. And once again, much love to those law students led by our guest last week, Maya Reddy. Maya got people together and they drafted a letter, not a crafted PR statement, but a full letter breaking down in chapter and verse. This is why Leah Thomas has the right to compete. And this is why the treatment she's getting is just wrong and cruel. There's a lot of imbalance in all these charges and claims coming from people who can't put their name on it. This new faux outrage about Leah reportedly saying, quote, I'm the Jackie Robinson of trans athletes and just the same vein of faux outrage like when she was supposedly reported saying after winning that race by 38 seconds in Akron that this race was easy. Again, reported by anonymous sources. This is what you call scandal sheet reporting, and, the, and people who know better shouldn't be buying into this. Real journalists need to be calling out this scandal sheet nonsense. Because the one person with nowhere to hide in this deal is Leah Thomas. There are people throwing a rock at her and then hiding behind a tree. You know, people throughout this issue have talked about fairness. That word gets bandied about a lot. Well, you know what? Leah Thomas should get some fairness too. At the very least, she should have the fairness of getting to see the names and the faces of those dropping dime on her to sources like the Daily Fail. And that's the red alert, Claxon. Gotta take a break. Give love to the sponsors. But when we come back... How the discussion here is influencing similar discussions abroad. We have two people from Denmark who are going to beam up to look at how their country is dealing with a recent look inside their nation's sports federation's policies toward inclusion. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us.
And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This week, we're continuing on what's been in the news throughout these last few weeks as far as the matters of inclusion in sport. Once again, as we said earlier in the show, the hits just keep coming when we're talking about Ivy League swimming and a certain swimmer named Leah Thomas at the University of Pennsylvania. The continuing fight over trans inclusion be it in an Ivy League pool or be it in a South Dakota state legislature, has a lot of legs not only across North America but around the world. And this story will only heighten as we get closer to the Beijing Olympics coming up next month and March 2022 when the new IOC trans inclusion policies go into effect. One of the places where this story has been picked up has been the nation of Denmark, who recently started looking at their own matters of trans inclusion within sports in that country. There are also those that are looking into the deeper issues in regards to inclusion and who is for exclusion. From their national television network to a podcast I ran across called Cybernorm or Cybernorms, which is ran by Maya Kalkalarensen, who is a known cyber security expert in Denmark and is currently working on a series talking about these particular issues and how they affect not just sports in her country, but sports around the world. And thanks to Maya, I learned of someone named Nadia Jacobson. Nadia Jacobson is an accomplished volleyball player, loves the sport, but also loved herself enough to pursue her own truth as a transgender woman, but never gave up her love of volleyball. And at the Eurogames Pride competition last August, she not only showed up, she showed out with a gold medal performance. Why not bring them both on the podcast? Well, guess what? We did, and they're here. Direct from Denmark, Nadia Jacobson and Maya Kalka-Lorentzen. Welcome to the Pot Transporter Room, Energize. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's good having you both here. And I know that we're in the dead of winter. I mean, we both got storm we both got high winds and storms bearing down on us, but still, great to have you here and have you in on this forum. Um, but round again, I want to start with Nadia. Nadia, what did it mean for you to walk on a volleyball court at Euro Games last summer? Oof. Um, actually, I think it was a very important step for me because uh, that was the first time I actually uh, played the competitive volleyball after coming out and after my transition. Um, so it was uh, it was actually uh, it was quite a new experience to actually be seen as myself on the court instead of the man I used to be uh, be seen as. Of course, I wasn't a man <laughs> in real life. <laughs> uh, but um, so it helped me a lot about um, what I actually wanted. As I'm, I'm not sure that I actually want to to play in the future. I, I don't really know because there's a lot of issues still, even in Denmark, even with the new policy. But uh, I actually thought more about it, and I actually want to help pe- trans people in the future be able to uh, compete. That's actually what I'm most invested in. What was it like for you not only to compete, but also win and (laughs) get out there and end up with a gold medal out of this? You got to win out of it. It was amazing. It was the first time actually playing competitive competitive volleyball that I actually won something. (laughs) I've never been uh, close to winning anything before. Uh, So uh, it it was amazing. Uh, And I had a really good team. And they, they really accepted me. There was another trans woman on the team as well. And, uh, and we just clicked. It was just uh, amazing but just to be a part of the team again, which, which was something I really missed uh, since uh, coming out and transitioning. I haven't really felt that uh, being part of a team before that, uh, after my transition. So it was, uh, it was amazing. Uh, and, and I actually still have the gold medal right here behind me. 
Maya, what was it like for you? Maya, what has following this particular issue? And also, what what have you learned from following it? I mean, in regards to not only the cybersecurity realm, but just in general, being a feminist in your country and seeing the TERFs just, and even seeing not just the TERFs, but also seeing your major media. One of the things you yeah. told me about was DR's report on what happened yeah. on some things that happened here in the United States. In fact, happened in my home state in the United States. Hmm. What has it been like for you following this story and working on the series you're working on? It, it's been extremely frustrating. Uh, so I've, I've been following kind of the development in turf world for a long time. And uh, a couple of years ago, wrote like an introductory article about it in Danish, because that's also one of the reasons I'm doing my podcast in Danish is to kind of make um, knowledge about, you know, the, the subcultures and hate cultures and online harassment and, and lots of different topics. I also make a special series about the Manosphere, but make it available in Danish because there's so much good content and amazing voices available in English, but we need more uh, in Danish to, to make it accessible for a lot of people. It's, it's distancing if it's in English. So I learned so much from following uh, English speaking people like yourself, but also it's, it's been really a pleasure for me to follow Nadia and learn from her. Uh, and I know that it's really important for a lot of people as well, because she writes in Danish um and and that just like opens it up to a, a lot of people uh all of these topics but yeah so i've been following kind of the development um i think the first time i heard about uh turfs uh was back in 2014 or 15 uh and and realized that this was a thing in feminist spaces because i hadn't heard about it before um and it kind of coincided with uh, a piece of legislation that took transgender people off the list of, of uh, mental illnesses in, in Denmark. And suddenly you saw these kind of groups coming to the forefront and, and being very vocal about being anti-trans. And of course, they've been there before. I just don't think I realized. Uh, and that is also partly due to social media that suddenly you're like, oh, these people exist and they think it's okay to comment on you know, every article that's about this or come in and bully specific trans women who are speaking out against discrimination and so on. Um, so I wrote a, a, an, an introductory article uh, to a website called Killjoy uh, that a friend of mine runs, which is about transgender rights as well. Um, and since then, that was in 2018, it's just been escalating. And also these groups have gotten a lot more vocal support from some very famous people. I really want to spend some time now unpacking what it is uh, and explaining it to people who might not know what's going on so they can make more informed decisions about how to deal with these folks when they invade your space, be that an online or an offline space. Nadia, have you ran into, ran into this sort of thing? Have you ran into people who <laughs> said, you're, you shouldn't be playing, it's unfair, you're a cheater? I have uh, have more interest in uh, in real life. Uh, first of all, uh, actually, most people I I meet are actually nice. Uh, when I meet them in sport sporting events and other things, there isn't any problem. There yeah. we we just accept, accept each other. But it is uh, online, especially on Facebook and Twitter. It's insane how many people who uh, who comment on it uh, call us men. Say we have an unfair advantage. Uh, say that nothing happens from HRT uh, treatment. Uh, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, yeah, I, I meet them daily uh, because I don't shut up about it. <laughs> so they really attack me sometimes. Nadia, okay. how how has being in sport changed for you from from now finding your truth and living as you to the days before? What's been different about participating? Oh, the most different thing is um, actually I can just focus more on it now. I don't uh, think about a lot of other things. Uh, my gender dysphoria is not as uh, it's not uh, as big as it used to be uh, because of the uh, because of my transition. So actually, I'm I'm much more clear headed when I play, uh, and that helps a lot. Uh, because no. Uh, I can actually focus on on playing instead of 
all of the things. Uh, and, and as I said, I haven't really met uh, anyone who has a problem with me being part of the team or anything. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm, give me a picture of what was like, what was playing volleyball like before you decided that, no, this is the direction I need to go in. What was sport for you? Like what kind of teams were you playing on? How did you kind of ba- how did you balance out playing, but also having to deal with what was what perhaps was going on inside? Yeah, uh, I used to play on a men's team. Uh, in, um, I played on the second string team who was in the lowest division in Denmark, but I practiced with a team who was in the third best division in Denmark and fourth best division. They went up and down there, mm-hmm. so it wasn't a pretty high level. I actually played, uh, so I actually. I used all my free time on volleyball uh, back then. Uh, it was uh, an escape from all my thoughts uh, about uh, identity and, and my gender. Um, that, that was how I used it. But still, even as I played on the court, there still was this thing in the back of my head who, who meant that I couldn't really commit to it 100%. There was always something um, occupying my mind even as I was playing. Um, and I think a lot of people actually don't understand that it's like that for a lot of French people uh, before we, we come out. It, it's actually almost impossible to be an elite athlete when you have all those things in your head uh, and how you feel about your body. Uh, actually, I used to, to weigh way more than I do now because I was in, I was sabotaged for myself uh, because of my dysphoria. See, we could compare notes on that because I was very much the same way. It's like, I mean, it's a weird thing for myself. Sports is my way of dealing with my dysphoria, but it also causes it. For you, what was the moment where you said, enough? I have to be Nadia now. I have to do this. Actually, it was about around my 34th birthday. Um, So it's uh, three years ago. I had come to the conclusion I was really depressed in December uh, before that. And I really had to think deep about uh, how I felt about myself. That, that was where my egg actually cracked. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I realized that there was way more about it than just uh, putting on women's clothes sometimes and, and just be happy about that. Uh, and then during, between the, uh, 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 Christmas and New Year, I actually for the first time met with another trans woman, um, and we had uh, some deep talks. And she's actually one of my best friends now, um, and that really helped me for, because that was the first time I actually met someone where there wasn't an implication of sex or anything else. It was just two people talking about how we felt, uh, and it, it was really an eye opening, eye opener. And then I decided that during the next year. I was going to tell more people about me. And I figured it would be five or six people or something. <laughs> and then uh, 13 days into the year, I told the first person about it. Uh, the next week, it was the next person. Next month, it was my mom. The next day, it was the rest of my mom's family. And then it just went step by step until May when I came out fully. And and I actually, I didn't went full time until uh, June 5th. I had some things I had to do as a man before I could uh, come out totally. But that last month, it was I, it was probably the worst month of my life. I just couldn't be a man anymore. <laughs> it was impossible. <laughs> I have been to that circus, yeah. and I know exactly where you're coming from. And there, there's something to being yourself, especially when you're out in that field. As, as a founder of Outsports, Sid Ziegler said often, it's a lot easier to perform your best when you're not keeping a secret. Yeah, exactly. And that has been the thing. And But one thing you talked about was the tur- was like, hey, how the turfs come at you online and how mm-hmm. online is just a toxic thing. And this is. is where I want to turn to Maya, because Maya, you gave a great TED Talk on this. <laughs> <laughs> on don't... on on how to fight the trolls. Yeah. And in fact, we are going to be putting this TED Talk, this will be in the liner notes as well. What is it about the anti-trans trolls in particular to you? 
that really kind of like raise your antenna up, being that you deal in these matters of cybersecurity? Well, I think it's 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 mul- multiple things. So first of all, it's like the relentlessness and apparently like the complete lack of other things in their lives that these people have. It's like when they come at you, they just do not quit. And that can tire out everybody. And and I think a lot of it is also due to suck puppet accounts, but also these people do not have lives, a lot of them. <laughs> and of, often they also pretend to be more people than they really are. So you'll have one person who might have, especially on Twitter, like a couple of different suck puppet accounts. And they'll always say like, oh, well, I, I have to be anonymous because otherwise I'll get canceled for my opinions. And you're like, yeah, that's probably because your opinions are trash and hateful. <laughs> I've seen few hate communities, and I do refer to this as, as a, like a hate group, uh, that are so relentless in their like ongoing uh, attacks and takeovers also of comment fields. They'll go into like, you know, something like a uh, a, a book publisher that publishes uh, teaching materials for kids, and they'll start ranting in their common field about like, why are you publishing stuff about trans people? Da, 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 da. And you're like, you know, this little tiny little publishing house won't know what hit them. Um, the uh, the other thing is they pick on a group that is extremely vulnerable, like maybe one of the, the most vulnerable social groups at all. And they don't have any qualms about bullying. Um, if you look at something like uh, Kiwi Farms, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the goal is to bully people ew. into, exactly, ew. Ew. <laughs> it's Not to bully Kiwi people Farms. into self-harm and, and suicide. So it's 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 quite like, openly like uh hateful and harmful and at the same time they talk about being feminists and and having like the interests of women and kids at heart so it's like that um you know we're the do-gooders here and we're protecting people by bullying some of the most vulnerable people in our community which as, as a feminist you should be an ally or an accomplice even, and you should protect these folks, but rather than that, you're attacking them. And then also like, to me, it's also just the kind of the brain fire of calling yourself a feminist and then having such like square ideas about gender, like going back and suddenly agreeing with men's rights activists and, and the old right on ideas on gender, because you hate trans people that much. Uh, to me, that's also just like a really, it's as a, as someone who's been observing and writing about online radicalization for a long time, the radicalization process of this particular group of feminists to me is extremely scary, but also just very, very interesting. It's online ad- radicalization in progress. And we see, uh, like we've been seeing it live with a lot of well-known turfs. It's like, oh, you said something, you know, a bit, um, maybe a bit turfy, you didn't think it through, and then you get critique, and then suddenly the radicalization progress start, and suddenly your timeline is just hate tweets against trans people, and you're like, what the hell is happening here? And to me, that mechanism is really, really interesting. Now, so thing, a lot of things are interesting from my perspective, yeah. <laughs> now, one thing for the both of you, because I want you to both ring on, on this, is the, the alt-right media, if you will, the more right-wing media picks this up and runs with it, and the mainstream yeah. media kind of ignores it for a while. They're, like, for example, the, the Leah Thomas story, the right-wing media have been running this literally from the time Leah ran her first race. Mm-hmm. And, now, and now, most recently, mainstream media is picking it up and looking at it. But I find that in Europe is that it seems like the turfs get going, the right, the more reactionary media gets it, and then the whole mass media just follows along for the ride. And with a case in point, Maya, something you sent me when you first contacted me, and and for full disclosure, I'm like Maya, I'm going to be a part of the series that Maya is building. I was interviewed for Cyber Norms a couple weeks, a few weeks ago, and I can't. And if nothing else, I'm going to be translated into Danish, which isn't a bad thing at all. <laughs> oh no, but, I'm going to leave your like what you're saying in, in English, <laughs> and I'll tie it together with some speaks and so yeah, on. Yeah, but I was flattered to be asked. But there was something you you sent me, and that was your your public broadcaster, Dr. in Denmark, mm. doing a story on the situation in, in my state, where I'm based, Connecticut. 
how does the media in Denmark cover trans people? Because based on that story, it's not good. No. Do you want to start? Uh, no, any of either of you can. Either of you just yeah. load in on it. I, I can start. Uh, the media is, yeah, it's very bad actually. There's, uh, there has actually been some very good stories about trans people as well, uh, especially on Dia, so that we talked about. Uh, have some really good uh, programs about um, trans uh, youth and uh, mm-hmm. trans men, but as soon as we get into uh, the sports section, then it becomes extremely transphobic uh, in in the Danish media, and I really mean it. It's it's insane. They are they are beginning to nearing the level of uh, the English press, yeah. and that says a lot because they are awful <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> that's <laughs> an understatement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's an understatement. They, like they, the Daily uh, Fail, for example. We yeah, don't yeah. like the, exactly. we don't like him at the transporter room. We yeah. really don't. Uh, we, we have a paper called Berlingskatsun in Denmark. Uh, it's pretty much the same. They, they can't run a positive story about trans people. It has to be negative all the time, no matter what. No matter what the story is, they always find the negative angle, and they always have turfs in their, in their uh, chronics. Uh, yeah, op-eds. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The comment section underneath these articles are just filled with the, the yeah. I I see it that it's no different. It's no different from the United States. You go to no. com, com, don't read. You know what they say? I wonder how do you say don't read the comments in Danish? We well, we also say yellow snow in the comment field. So comments <laughs> on. It's like well, somebody peed there. Don't. You know, <laughs> don't read it. But it was that dr story where they got so many things wrong. I'm like, wow, it's not just here and it's not just in England. This type of coverage is everywhere. Um Nadia, how do you keep how do you keep moving forward even <laughs> through all this? I mean because this is it's difficult. I know it's difficult for me as well. Uh, there have been many times when I actually wanted to just quit sports and just say I have to do something else with my life, uh, and I actually did for about uh, a year and a half uh, because it was in, it was simply too much. I couldn't imagine ever being able to play again because the, the level of transphobia in, in the comments section, which I sadly read in the beginning of my transition, they they really took a toll on me mentally. Uh, now I'm more um, more at ease with myself, so they don't uh, really affect me that much anymore. But but they did at the beginning. Uh, but now it's just uh, fuck those idiots. They don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I I needed to hear that today. <laughs> I needed to hear that one, and a lot of people did. But just to follow up, just through your own just through your own process, where do you find your trans joy? I ask this a lot of trans people. Yeah. Where do you find your trans joy? Mm. Oh, it's a bit hard to say, but uh, I like to say I had a lot of change to my face from uh, from the hormone treatment, and that's that's actually some of the most joy I get. That is actually getting up every day, looking into the mirror, and actually seeing myself. Because I never did that for 34 years before I began my, trans- uh, began my transition. And that is really amazing. Uh, that to me is worth it all. Uh, so. I can agree with that. That was one of the first things when you realize that when you're looking and you're realizing that, boy, your face is different. And yeah. for me, being a triathlete, it was when it was when I was putting on like spandex and the spandex <laughs> looked curvier. And it like curved me in like very different places. I was like, and I was looking at the when I was looking in the mirror and go like, "Wow, I look kind of hot in this. We're gonna have a good workout today, or we're gonna have a good race today." No. Maya, you were talking about as far as the comments and as far as the trolls. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, where does your expertise fall in line with all this? I mean, what are some of the things you're seeing? In in some of the other parts and the research you've been doing for the series you have coming up, what are some of the norms that you're seeing in cyberspace in regards to 
how the tourists are operating, how anti-trans groups are operating, and how just old-fashioned, let's just say it, how mainline reactionary and fascist yeah. groups. Hmm. I think it's it's definitely, and you touched upon this as well, Carly, in our interview. It's like, and like, trans hate is still seen as an ex acceptable form of bigotry. Maybe not. You don't say outright that you hate trans people, but you can be like, but there are only two genders, and I respect people's way to dress how they want. But you know, we can't. Da, da, da. So this this I like it's it's an acceptable form of bigotry, and the the extreme right, the far right, and the fascists have caught on to that, and and they're seeing this as an acceptable way to sell a moral panic. It's it's completely the exact same moral panic about gay people and lesbians that were like you know pushed in the 80s or in the 70s uh it's very very similar to that um so i'm definitely seeing that this is kind of used as a, a crowbar uh and as a way to you know sell this moral panic um to a wider audience who are still very uncomfortable with having kind of their fundamentals fundamental ideas about gender questioned uh which the existence of transgender people they it questions you know your very strong held ideologies about gender and people really want that to be real and fact and scientific fact and then you present them with the actual scientific facts and it's like they get very very aggressive and uh, reactionaries see this and and they use it and that's why they keep fueling these debate like the sports debate you have all these people who don't give a shit about sports like all the turfs in our country they don't care about sports they don't even care about women's sports i mean i, I, I was just about sports. to say that they definitely a lot of, care about women's a sports. lot of them <laughs> you can hear it when they talk they don't know anything it's like and and, and i say that as someone who's not very knowledgeable about sports but i actually do like read up on and stuff and it's like you know what are the rules here and and they don't suddenly they just like really care about sports because they just want to use it as a hook uh to kind of fuel the flames about this panic that the the woke ideology or the trans ideology or the gay agenda will come and it'll ruin the families and and you know the balance between the genders or science and and whatever um so so i'm really seeing this kind of it's it's and you know it's even though these groups are also they're racist, they're misogynist, uh, they're anti, you know, anti-LGBT, it's still, you can still be vocally very transphobic without people spotting it. And and real like Nadia has used the example from of DR, a public broadcaster, their sports coverage of, of trans issues is extremely transphobic people are not there people don't realize why that those articles are a problem and it's like punching a, a you know a pillow so it's trying to tell people why these articles are a problem because people are not yet aware of how steep they are in transphobia how like very very basic ways of thinking are, are you know enabling uh transphobic um agendas nadia as a trans person who plays the game, and I'm looking at, um, and in fact, I'm looking at that old Tumblr and you biting into your metal right now. <laughs> um, I have it here as well. So. <laughs> there you go. See it? There's the proof. There, there's the proof. No. Trans women, we get the job done. Um, <laughs> what, what are some things from your experience that you know about? transness that cis people just completely get wrong oh be it in sport being in life be it anywhere oh do, do we have all nice or oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh they get so many things wrong um, what are some of the biggest that you see just in your experience that no no you got it all wrong here yeah. the, the first one is probably that that's something uh, i guess all trans people here it's just a choice yeah you just chose to be transgender and it's just that no, I definitely didn't choose it. The, the only choice I had to made was uh, to either kill myself or live as myself. That was the options. I, I didn't have any other options. Uh, if I hadn't come out and lived there myself, I would have killed myself. That, that, that's the point. And a lot of people simply don't get that because they see the whole world from a cis perspective. They don't see it from our perspective. Uh, and, and then there's the whole uh, puberty thing. Uh, just uh, as late as last night, I, 
I had some very heated arguments with some serfs who just claimed that um, puberty is bad for everyone. If you ask 90% of people, they would still say that puberty was the worst thing that ever happened to them. And I was just like, are you insane? <laughs> of course, uh, puberty is not a fun period, but cis people definitely don't experience uh, puberty as bad as trans people do. Um, so the whole debate about puberty bloggers, and they, they begin about, oh, there's so many side effects. There, there's this, and in 10 years' time, there will be so many people who regret that. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, do you know how many of us actually regret that we had to go through that fucking time? <laughs> uh, it, it, was the, it was the worst time of my life, uh, without doubt. Uh, and it fueled my depression and my suicidal thoughts for the next uh, 15 years. Uh, what made it the most difficult for you? Because, because um, my whole body changed in, in a direction that I couldn't see myself in. I already was uh, dysphoric because uh, I didn't feel right about, uh, about the sex of my body. It felt completely wrong even before puberty. And then puberty hit and I got the uh, hair all over my body. I started growing a beard. The, it was uh, I, it was so bad. Oh my! I, I couldn't I couldn't relate to anything uh, with my body, and it, it made me dissociative of myself. Uh, I spaced out. I I couldn't be myself. It felt like it was a. Uh, it felt like another person was actually controlling my whole life. I was just there for, uh, as a passenger for the ride. It would have cost me my life if I kept on like doing that. Uh, it was it wasn't good for me. Then yeah. how did sport play into all play into all this? Yeah, where that, was that, where was sport in all this? Yeah, and that that's actually the thing, and I, and I say this a lot. If I hadn't been able to play volleyball in all those years, I wouldn't be here today. It was the only highlight of my life that was playing volleyball for all those years. It was the only thing that kept going. It was the only thing that I had to look forward to. The rest of my life was miserable. I didn't really have any friends. I didn't let anyone come close to me. Uh, I didn't have a social life. Uh, it, it actually wasn't before uh, social media got really popular that I actually started um, having some friends I could write about these things with. So they just went on and on in my head. And the only thing that kept me going was thinking, okay, in a couple of days I have volleyball practice. That was the only thing I was looking forward to. And in the weekend, we have a game. And that was it. It was all I could focus on. Uh, and it was all I could do to actually keep my dysphoria at a level where I didn't end up killing myself. Now, by my understanding and some of the research I did for this, you had to, you, when, when you came out with your truth, you had to change clubs. When you first revealed this, there yeah. was a lot of resistance to it. Uh, actually, there wasn't that much resistance, but uh, I played at a men's team. Oh. And that didn't really work after I came out. <laughs> as that, that didn't really work. So I, I, um, we had a, another club who was more co-ed, who, who we, had some, we worked together with in my, in my old club. So I went over there and played, and, and it was okay. People was, uh, was actually quite nice. But there, there were some guys who just kept on uh, misgendering me, even uh, a year after I came out. Uh, and it, it affected me very much. Um, and, and to get through it, I, I built up the walls again. Um, I had to put on the facade and the wall to keep uh, it from hurting too much. Um, but when I, then when I started the HIT, I just couldn't do it anymore. It was impossible to build up that wall <laughs> and, and pretend that everything was okay because it wasn't. So now, now, Nadia, you know what some people are going to say when they hear this? Because oh, so you're on a men's team, you tra you're transitioning. Now you're on a mixed team. Why not just play on a mixed team or just play at the men's team? Why do you have to play with other women? Why is that important? Because I am a woman. That's, that's the whole point. But actually, personally, I don't care if it's a mixed team or a women's team. That's not the important point for me. The, the important thing is to actually play as myself. 
and be seen as myself and registered as myself in in the in, I if I had to to be registered as a man playing I couldn't do it I simply couldn't do it about 10 days ago Denmark Sports Federation came out with the report in regards to their recommendations how they're going to handle the inclusion of transgender people in sport in your country for mm. both of you what does that look like? What does it say? What doesn't it say? What does it mean? Well, the Danish media covered it as the Danish, what do you call it? Like sports organization. Yeah. Says, yeah. The Danish sports federation. This was the headlines, right? In in most media outlets, the Danish Sports Federation says that transgender women have an unfair advantage in sports. And that's how it got covered. But then, as Nadia also wrote on Twitter, after seeing an interview with uh, someone from their board who was in writing the report and actually reading the report, and this is also something I found out when I read the report, is that's not what it says. It says that uh, most of the report is about how to include uh, non-cis people in what you can say non-competitive sports so it could be or it could be you know average sports clubs uh, not elite level sports but other types of competitive sports and that the sports clubs should put more emphasis on including gender minorities making better dressing facilities uh, teaching coaches how to be more inclusive and invite more LGBT plus people into sports because it's a problem that they're discriminated against. Um, so that's actually most of it. And then it, uh, then it goes into elite sport and it's like, well, trans men can compete in, in the male category. That one is open. And then when it comes to the elite female category, it's, it gets a bit more muddy it's uh it, it talks about both intersex women and trans women and it says it it's not proven that they don't have an advantage so each individual sports needs to set a number of rules that uh trans women and intersex people have to adhere to to participate in the female category to ensure that they don't have unfair advantages but it does not say that they do and the problem is also, and I'm sure Nadja can talk more about this, is that this leaves the individual clubs to make up their own rules without proper guidance. So uh, that's one of the problems with the report. But it does not say or prove that uh, trans women have an unfair advantage. And it also specifically addresses this conspiracy theory that there are all these men who are going to come into women's sports and steal medals. And it oh, specifically ew. uses a whole page to say, that is completely unfounded. We do not believe that, and we aren't—we're not going to entertain this. Basically, so they're very clear about that. Um, so all the Turks sharing it and kind of feeling vindicated with this report, maybe they should read it because it's actually—it doesn't say what they think it says. No, Nadia, Nadia, one thing you did put in your Twitter, and mm. that's in front of me. But even though I'm happy about it, there were unfortunately a few points where the DIF did not fully follow our recommendations. Where did they get it right? Where did they get it wrong in your view? Uh, they, they got it right about the point about setting some clear and clear rules about how we can participate in elite sports. Uh, that was actually something I was very clear about because that made it, that makes it harder for people to discriminate against us in sports when there are clear rules. Then we can just uh, refer them to the federation and say, okay, you have to take it up with them. You can't discuss it with me. It's not my fault. I, I follow the rules. So that was something I was very uh, happy about, the activity. Um, the things I'm unhappy about is, uh, first of all, they didn't, uh, they didn't specifically say that trans kids who haven't gone through male puberty shouldn't, be, uh, shouldn't have to adhere to these rules. That's one of my biggest critique points of the report, because you can't say that they have an advantage in any way. Uh, because they haven't gone through male puberty. Um, that was one thing I was very clear about in the work group that I was a part of, that that should be included. And they say that the federations should consider it, but they don't say they should do it. That is, that is the thing I am most furious about they didn't do about the report. 
Um, the next thing is, is that they didn't split up uh, trans women, uh, intersex people, and non-binary people, because we are three very different groups. And in the report, they are grouping us all together when they talk about elite sports. And, and that's a problem, because if you set a set of rules for trans women, then you actually make some rules for intersex women that, that doesn't make any sense for intersex women. Um, and that's a big problem, and I said it at the meeting as well, but they didn't include it. And that's, uh, yeah, let's say when they, sometimes when they have to review it again, that, that's something we definitely have to get them to do, because it isn't fair that an intersex woman that actually doesn't have an advantage from, from a higher level of testosterone has to be excluded because they made some rules for trans women. So, so there was a process with this working group, and you were a part of that process. Yeah, uh, I was at the late, uh, the last meeting before they wrote the report. Now, were there other trans people that were in this process? Because a lot of these working groups, like for example, World Rugby's working group, had no trans women in it. So they had one trans man in it. They had one trans woman in it who was not a who was not a player. And they and Joanna Harper said it best. They wanted a certain ruling, and they pro- and they found the ways mm. to get it. What was yeah. it like in this process in Denmark? Actually, there was a re- representatives of uh, of many uh, LGBT groups in Denmark. We had from the biggest in Denmark, uh, called Susanne. It was actually her. It was her who invited me into it. There was a non-binary person uh, who also did sports like I do. Uh, and we had some. We had an intersex woman from intersex Denmark who was a representative. We had from Amnesty International. Uh, there was also from, um, and then there was a woman from uh, Roller Derby, the Federation for Roller Derby in Denmark, which is very inclusive. They actually, I don't actually think they have uh, rules for trans women. They are just allowed to play <laughs> in the game. Um, so yeah. The work group was actually very positive uh, about trans women in sports, um, and we came with a lot of recommendations for the for DIF about the report, and they did include most of what we said. It's only the two critiques points I just mentioned that I actually think they should have put in. Then I would have been very happy with the report. In a lot of countries, for example, in Britain, some of the best athletes in British history have been, in a sense, recruited by the Terps. Uh, <clears throat> Dame Kelly Holmes, uh, Daly Thompson, and being a fan of Daly Thompson, that really kind of stabs me in the heart. Yeah. Yet, a senior record holder in your country, Rekka Randhold Albertson, spoke out for inclusion. What did it mean to have, one, have a top athlete saying, no, this is the, and in, inclusion is the way to go? It means a lot. And at the last meeting uh, in the work group where I was with, she actually said clear and obvious that she would be extremely happy if we one day had a trans woman who won a gold medal at the Olympics. Oh, she by said the way, word just, by word. <laughs> wait a minute. What was that again? I want once more for the people in the back. What did she say? She said, if uh, Denmark one day have a trans woman, trans woman who wins a gold medal at the Olympics, she would be happy about it. And congratulate them about it. <laughs> Switching some gears real quick. Um, because we're coming into the home stretch. First off, I'm just wondering this show was all, this podcast was developed by a couple of sci fi nerds. Is there any science fiction, fantasy, gaming, nerd, and geek stuff that you're grooving to right now? If so, what is it? I am in COVID isolation right now. Well, and I, I even got like a little R2D2 on my arm. You can, can't see it properly there, but nice. Yeah, it's right. Yeah, Astromech well, droid on well, the arm. Well, of course, like I've been proving to the new Matrix. Uh, speaking of, uh, you know, trans, the trans agenda winning the culture. And, and that's been so interesting to me because I've been monitoring the manosphere for many years and they kind of took this red pill metaphor that is obviously about transitioning to themselves and made it all about hating women. And I just uh, really loved how the new Matrix film commented on that. Um, uh, so I thought that was pretty funny. And I'm also uh, reading the Ian Banks culture series. 
Um, I don't know if you know that. I've, one. I've heard of it. And that's something I it's need actually, to delve into. It's actually pretty good and, uh, and really interesting. It's kind of like, you know, gay space, luxury, anarchism with uh, friendly AIs uh, and, and what happens in a society like that. Um, so that's, uh, that's pretty entertaining. Yeah. See, see, I'm all for a little gay space anarchism or gay space com- communism. I, yeah. I am all for it. Last question. First to Nadia. Nadia, moving forward, I mean, assuming the recommendations take hold, two things. One, will we see you on a volleyball court again? And going forward, you said you wanted to, like, especially work with trans youth. What are some of the initiatives that you want to see, especially for trans youth in sports going forward, based on these recommendations? Uh, I said, I don't know, we, we don't have a women's team in my club. We are not in, enough women. So so I doubt it would be on a women's team, but we are talking about making a, a mixed team uh, where I could play. Um, so that would, maybe next season I can play there. Uh, otherwise, maybe I could be a libero at the, at the men's team because, <laughs> because the best division is open. So that, that won't be a problem. I'm, I'm still very good to... I have a very good technique in volleyball, so that, that helps a lot. Um, as long as I don't have to be registered as a man, that's the most important thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very interested in, in helping trans youth uh, to not have to go through the kind of discrimination that, God has, that the rest of us has gone through. Um, that's one of my, my biggest... Um, goals. Uh, that's, that's one of the things I'm working hardest for. It is to ensure that the trans youth have access to healthcare uh, when they need it so they don't have to go through that uh, male puberty that yeah we both hated extremely yeah. much. <clears throat> uh, and, and also to make sure that they don't have to as it is today, they would actually be allowed to play uh, on the women's team until they were maybe 12 or 13. And then usually the club split it up in, in guys and girls. So, so many uh, trans people at that point would either have to have a very accepting club or they would have to play with the guys to continue to play sports uh, if they're trans girls. Yeah. And that's just insane because... Um, they are not guys. They will never be guys. And that would just discourage them from, from doing sports in the future. And, and my biggest goal is to ensure that they don't have to do that. So they keep playing sports. Because uh, as we both know, sports is very important for a lot of people because it gives you that community that for trans people can be very hard to find in other spaces of life. Uh, I've been lucky to, to find a lot of trans people that I, I have community with, but it's still not the same as having a community and, and fighting for uh, a, a common goal uh, for a team. It's a whole lot of way of being um, together as a team and have a, the same goal in the future for the team. And I want to be able to ensure that trans people in the future can, uh, can enjoy that, uh, especially the youth. Maya, for you, the you obviously you, how's how's the project going? When is the project going to be unveiled, and when will well, people get to I'm, access? I'm it? hoping as soon as possible. So the sports one is actually done. I just need to re um, uh, re-record some speaks because I need it to be a little bit shorter. I want one each episode to be maximum like 45, 47 minutes because I think. Otherwise, people will be like, "Oh, that's long." Um, and then I'm doing the introduction one, and, and I don't know—I don't know if I should wait till they're all done before I release them, or if I should just release them on an ongoing basis. Um, but I know what's going to be in them. I have, yes, I've recorded most of the interviews. Uh, it's all about the editing now, um, and I think it takes longer than I would like it to because I also want to do it properly. And because it's COVID and I keep getting hit by these. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I can tell hopefully you I can do some editing in the summer house, but, but I'm hoping to get it out um, in, uh, in February. Uh, well, and then maybe it'll be like three or four first and then the rest will come. Um, yeah. Well, and, and also I'm working on translating one? the, uh, working on translating your article. So I'll let you 
see it before I, we post it, but that's going to come out before the podcasts are done because that one needs to get out now. So I'm hoping to do that this week. Um, yeah. Well, I can tell you when you, when you do put out the sports version of the project that you're doing, the interview that we did, we're going to run out excerpts that same week here in the transporter room. We're Great. going to, we're going to do that. Cause I was really pleased to work with you on that Me too. because this, uh, because trans liberation is not just something for one country. This is a, this is a worldwide global struggle that we're fighting that we're seeing here. It and is. to have both to have this perspective here was really special. And I want to thank you for joining me today to give people this outlook and realize that, no, this isn't just something that's happening in the United States. It's not just something that happened yeah. in England, or it's not just something that's happening in say Western Europe or in the usual suspects that people in the West want to talk about. This is everywhere. And also yeah. we in the, in a quote unquote enlightened West have to realize that it's our fight too. I mean, people talk about Iran, China, Russia, but not too many people talk about Hungary, Poland, no. England. Denmark, United exactly. States. So no, exactly. thank you. Thank you both for being here today. Cause I've Thanks learned a lot. It meant us. a lot. And likewise, I've, I've, I mean, I'm learning so much from both you, Carly and you, Nadia. So I really appreciate your sharing your knowledge and your perspectives with me. I can tell you, we appreciate you getting out, just getting yeah. out there and getting in cis spaces and getting in cis faces. Yeah. And that's, that's an important um, thing for everyone. I mean, don't don't be a feminist, be a feminist. Exactly. Get in there. Yeah. So, uh, hey, thanks for having you both. I'm going to beam you both back down there, back down to beautiful Denmark. And I want to thank Nadia Jacobson and thank Maya Lorenzen for joining me today. But also, I want to thank all of you for being a part of the conversation and being a part of the transporter room. If there's anything you want to see or anything you want to say about what I do here, please, by all means, leave a message at our Twitter page, leave a message at our Facebook page and leave a message at our Instagram presence, transporter room 10 forward. And just a note about 10 forward new content coming in the coming weeks. So Keep watching 10 Ford. That's going to be our, our coffee house, poetry house, content room right there. And a lot more is coming, so stay with us. And a lot more is coming as well, so stay with the transporter room as we head more further along into 2022. That's our show for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. Live long and prosper and study as she goes. I'll catch you all next week. <laughs>